0: This is episode number 76 of the SHIPS podcast with Liz Smith. Welcome to SHIPS. My name is Pat McCandrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives— Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Ships. I hope you are all doing very well today because you are in for a great episode with Liz Smith, liz smith is a british filmmaker she is currently in production on a feature documentary looking at the impact of digital technology on generation z with the working title swipe left for addiction although she said she might change this title alongside her film work she also curates and hosts What's Going On In Your Head, which is a series of shows that explore the secret inner works of the mind through live performance and discussion. And she is also the co-founder of The Secret Illness, a creative arts project that explores what it is like to live with obsessive compulsive disorder. So I am really excited for this episode of Ships and to have Liz on the show. We talk a lot about Generation Z and how digital communication is having an impact on their brains and how they are developing. She reveals some interesting things about Generation Z that are key differences between them and their millennial predecessors. We also discuss the idea of social cooling. So if you're wondering what that is, I didn't know what it was until I spoke with Liz. So if you're wondering what that is, look forward to it. We also talk about being engaged, the importance of being engaged, the challenge of finding balance, and how important it is to be aware of ourselves and of our surroundings. So this is a really great episode that I'm looking forward to sharing with you all If you like it yourselves, please share it with a family member or a friend who you think it might resonate with. So let me please introduce Liz Smith. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today's guest joining us is Liz Smith. Liz, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Hello. Nice to be with you.
0: I'm really excited to dive into this conversation because you are working, you you work as a filmmaker. And I think that this is a really powerful medium to talk about digital wellness, to talk about mindful tech use, and really to talk about the effect that technology is having on us and is continuing to have on us as technology is advancing. So I'm really excited to have you on the show and to really showcase your perspective when it comes to all things digital wellness through the medium of film.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me.
0: Yes, absolutely. So I'm wondering if you could just start off by telling us about yourself. Maybe how did you get into the path that you're now pursuing today?
1: I'm actually going to roll back a bit further than that because it's relevant to the conversation. And um, it actually goes back to 1997, um When I got a call, I was in um, working in the UK and I got a call saying there's this um, this kind of American startup company that's um, opening up in Europe and they're looking for people like you. Um, it's called Yahoo. Would you be interested in joining? <laughs>
0: oh wow. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. And um, at that point I'd started using Yahoo a little bit. I was just investigating the whole internet thing. I thought this is a really interesting space. Um, That sounds cool. I'm going to give it a go. So off I went and um, I was part of that first team that that effectively launched Yahoo into Europe. And um, it was an amazing time. It was, as we all know, um, the the rest of the story, we went through the whole dot com boom and bust and all of that. But in those early days, the team of people who got together behind it um, were a very curious bunch, and we kind of thought we were sort of changing the world for the good. Um, that, you know, it was going to be a net positive, and it was all very exciting. Um, and then 20 years later, of course, um, we see that there is a somewhat darker side to the internet than perhaps we, we had realized in those early days. So um, my tenure at Yahoo lasted um, for about four years. I did a couple of years in the UK, then I moved over to the US, um, worked there. Um, and, um, when I, when I decided finally to leave and and move on, that was the point where I went, actually, I want to explore some of the more creative, um, aspects of the things I want to do in my life. And I went to the London Film School. So I've been, um, a filmmaker, um, much longer than I was involved in the whole dot um, industry, but it was very formative period, um, of my time, you know, a a very formative period for me.
0: Right. And I can only assume that now it has informed, uh, it's obviously has informed the work that you're doing in a lot of ways. And so I'm wondering if you could speak to well, what, it, what is it about creating a documentary that resonates most with you?
1: Oh, um, that's interesting. Why the documentary form um, is certainly, you know, I've, I've experimented with all sorts of different routes of filmmaking in the last 20 odd years um but for some reason documentary is the one i've settled on and the one i'm most interested in personally so um the documentary i'm making is a feature doc so you've got 90 minutes and i've been working on this for probably almost two years now and through that process i've researched it a lot i've read a lot i've met a lot of people i've asked lots of questions and i've been able to go really 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 deep into this subject um however Most people don't have two years to go that do that and go deep but hopefully they do have 90 minutes um, of their life where they can really consider this subject so i see my job as distilling all of that process i've been through and all of that information into 90 minutes and it being um you know a very visual format and very audio visual format i think it's one of the most powerful ways of you know getting messages across and um explaining things and 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 opening up questions
0: yeah i think that well, what I personally love about documentaries is that it opens up a lot of times this outlet either to explore a new idea or concept that I didn't know about previously or to further investigate one that I'm very interested in. And the use of visuals and the, the talking of, of people and experts in, in this field or in the field that the documentary is covering, it really makes it this enticing way to engage an audience.
1: Yeah, it's a great way of condensing, you know, what is actually a very big topic, and um, you know, getting it not bite-sized. Um, Ninety minutes is still a big commitment of time, um, but it's long enough to be able to get some key kind of messages and points and thoughts over.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. And so with all of that said and having that in mind, I'm wondering if you could talk to us about your upcoming film, which is very exciting, uh, Swipe Left for Addiction. I'm wondering what inspired this piece? Why make this piece now? And I'm, I'm wondering just overall if you could tell us more about this upcoming film that you're working on.
1: Yeah, so Swipe Left for Addiction, Um, it might not be called that in the end. We're thinking we might need to rename it, actually, because on the journey of making it, I think um, the story has has evolved a bit. Um, But we'll come back to that. But um, the why now? So obviously, um, we talked earlier about my background, um, which perhaps says, why me? Um, Because I have a particular interest in this topic, given given my Yahoo experience and my Silicon Valley experience um, I had. Um, But why now? Certainly two years ago when I started exploring this, there was a lot in the press about screen addiction, you know, um, and what is digital media doing to us and digital technology doing to us. And um, I just started talking about it to a lot of people and it was coming up as a constant topic of discussion. And um, it just started making me question, question it myself. And then you start digging in and digging in, and, and then when you dig in, you realize that this topic goes far beyond screen time, screen addiction, and, uh, and it's a, there are much bigger, bigger issues here um, that surround it, which is why it then became, I realized it became a very important story to tell. And then over the two year period, I think um, things have already moved on. So some of the advancements with machine learning and AI and the role of algorithms, um, that kind of conversation is now happening, which perhaps two years ago um, was a less common topic of conversation. So it's a very fast moving space, which has made it very challenging actually in some respects. Um, so I don't know whether that answers your question.
0: Oh, no, absolutely. I think that, especially nowadays, we're seeing a lot more awareness being spread around this issue and around the concept of digital wellness and and how technology is affecting the way in which we live and learn and also think about our lives. And you're, you're working with this film with a specific population, Generation Z, who are really teenage years, college years, right, right about now, teenagers, early 20s. And so I'm wondering if you could talk about why is it that you have decided to work with this specific population?
1: That's a very good question. And can I call them Generation Z?
0: Oh, (laughs) yeah, sure.
1: You can go Z and I'll go Z. <laughs> so everyone. Um, it's a very interesting question actually. When, when we started out um, that decision, when I say we, I'm working very closely with Chantal Di Cavallo, who's the producer, and we've had lots of conversations back and forth about how we approach this. And it quickly became clear that this is a massive topic. And so how do you kind of hone it down? You know, what, what you've got to decide what lens you're going to tell this story through. And very early on in the process, we did actually come up with this decision to tell it through the point of view of um, Gen Z. Um, and I think the reason for that is they are the first generation who've grown up with mobile technology in their pockets. Um, So the millennials, um, they did do remember a time, at least when um, the internet was was sort of um, just plugged in at their home. Um, You know, when they were at school, they didn't have it in their pockets um, all all the time with them. So I think this is a very significant um, difference um, for that generation. So that was was partly why um, we chose that. And it's been very interesting, because at first I was like, "Oh, am I the right person to tell this story about Gen Z? Because I'm not a parent. I'm a hardcore Gen Xer, but I I haven't had children myself. And so I felt like a little bit of a fraud at times, like, am I the right person? Um, But as I've gone along on the process, I think almost my, perhaps my objectivity by not being a parent may actually have have helped, because I've been able to make this more a little bit of a sort of anthropological study. And um, it's been absolutely fascinating um, because perhaps some of my preconceptions I had about Generation Z, um, you know, they are—it's not actually the reality. And as I've got to meet some of these wonderful um, people who've been participating um, in the film, I, I've, I've got a—I've got a new appreciation for that generation.
0: Yeah, it's—I'm sure it's been interesting interacting with a lot of a lot of people within the, the Generation Z or, or Gen Z population. And a, as you were saying at the beginning of our conversation, I'm sure that has impacted the way in which you are making the film as well.
1: 100%, yeah, 100%. And one of the um, things that I hadn't appreciated um, early on is there's actually um, a significant difference between the millennials and Generation Z. Um, so they're, you know, in the terms of their value set and the way they're, they're leading their lives. And I think a lot of us kind of just went, Oh, everyone's a millennial, (laughs) Um, but they're not.
0: I'm, I'm curious as a millennial myself, I would love to hear about some of these differences.
1: I think one of, um, one of, there's a kind of, There's much more thoughtfulness about what Gen Z are putting online than perhaps the millennials. And this isn't the fault of the millennials. When, um, you know, social media sort of uh, came about, it was very exciting, it was fun, it was new, and it's like, let's share, 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 share. Um, And, you know, everything would be out there. And I think um, you know, we saw it with the rise of um, Snapchat and TikTok as well, where there's slightly more um, closed networks where um, uh, WhatsApp is rather the closed network. There's a lot more communication going through those. And also with um, the likes of Snapchat and um, Instagram stories, the fact that these stories disappear and they only last um, for a short period of time is it, it's quite a big shift. So I definitely um, there's a lot more cautiousness about what they will post and what they will do online than perhaps with the millennials. Um, The other thing that I think is really, really fascinating is um, this whole concept of social cooling. I don't know whether you've come across that.
0: Cooling? No, what's social cooling?
1: So I think this goes back to the fact that young people today have – no privacy whatsoever they're always being tracked whether it's by their parents um you know where they are because they've given them a phone and often the catalyst for giving their child a phone this is the first time they're walking to school on their own And they do it for very very good reasons because they want to make sure that their child is safe um So um, they're constantly being tracked by their parents or their carers on their phone, or by, you know, um, the social networks, or by their friends who are watching them on social networks, or, you know, every time you jump in an Uber, you know, or or you're mapping yourself, you're constantly being tracked. And you then have to ask the question, step back and go, well, what does it do to society when you're under constant surveillance like that? And it often means that you will hold back from really expressing yourself in public spaces. Um, And that's what social cooling is about. And so there's a lot in the media about how Gen Z are perhaps more risk averse. And and taking risk is a very important part of growing up and adolescence. Um, And in some ways, because of this constant tracking, this loss of privacy, I do think it's it's making Gen Z hold back um, a whole lot more than previous generations would when they were teenagers.
0: It's really fascinating, and it makes so much sense too. Because you're absolutely right that kids nowadays they are always tracked. Parents could always know where they're at based on where their phone is at. And yeah, I, I imagine that as you've been filming this project, it's been interesting to hear what their perce- what gen z's perception is on that
1: yeah and it hasn't necessarily obviously they haven't come out and said oh you know we don't have privacy anymore and we're always being tracked um and, and um of course they don't see it that way because that's what they've always known they haven't known any different
0: yeah <laughs> it really puts things in perspective what were some of the challenges you faced when creating this film that is trying to emphasize the dangers inherent in smartphones and social media, specifically in working with Generation Z? Um,
1: so with regards to working with, with Generation Z, it's been interesting um, because of what we were just talking about, this slight reticence to, um, to share in the public domain their thoughts and their opinions so I I, I started doing video diaries with a whole um, group of different of diverse section of young people and there were a list of questions that I wanted them to talk to and I found that I wasn't getting a lot of take-up so initially I'd have there'd be a lot of enthusiasm for taking part yes I'd love to do this um, but then I wasn't getting the video diaries through. And so I started asking the question as to why are they just being lazy teenagers? You know, we are always a bit lazy when our teenage years sometimes. Um, But I don't think it was just that, it was that. Um, And it was a kind of like, these questions are very personal or or intimate. um, And I'm worried about sharing them and having them in the public domain. Which then made me pose the question, well, are they, how personal are they really? And they, I didn't think they were very personal questions. They were things like, you know, what do you want to be um, when you're grown up? You know, what, what do you think your life will be like in 20 years' time? Those kind of questions, which for me, I wasn't asking them about you know, intimate questions about their sex life or anything. Um, these were questions that I... I wouldn't have thought were personal or intimate but and I think that really was an expression of their concern of well what if I say something that makes me look stupid and then it's out there permanently
0: oh wow yeah
1: so um and I've worked you know I've built I've worked very closely I'm continuing to work closely with um with our wonderful characters who are taking part and um And and on the flip side of that, as as we sort of built trust and confidence, um, I'm starting to realize that these are an incredible set of young people who are incredibly thoughtful, um, who um, are incredibly um, engaged. Um, So it's not an apathy, it's not apathy, it's just this fear of, well, if I say something that's gonna make me look stupid, it's gonna be out there forever.
0: Yeah, that's. It really is a, a, an important point to to mention. Is that I absolutely agree with you that I think millennials had this tendency to just share and post everything and anything, and I wonder if the following generation, if they saw that, and almost in some sense saw the consequences that came with that, and maybe therefore are much more hesitant to go about posting certain things online.
1: Which in a way is a good thing, you know, it is learning sort of digital literacy.
0: Yes, Um, yes.
1: But when you play that back um, into, you know, things that are important um, when you're growing up as an adult, um, you know, in in terms of how you develop and how you find your identity and all of those kind of things, um, a certain amount of trying stuff out, risk taking, you know, pushing the barriers, pushing the limits, actually very important in terms of your personal development. So this is something that we need to be very, very careful about. And... um, one of the themes that 's been coming through time and time again with because um, i 've interviewed with quite a lot of um, experts in various fields um, the, the one of the stories i 'm hearing a lot is um, this issue about helicopter parenting, um, which ties into this uh, um, this concept of you know when you're, when your child starts going to school on their own, you give them your phone for for the safety thing and um, you 're constantly trying to look after them and make sure that they're not going to fall over. Um, But there's a certain amount of falling over, which is actually quite important for adolescent development.
0: Right, right. Well, what would you say throughout the process and uh, when you've been working on this film? Was there a very shocking discovery that you came upon that you might not have thought about as much before starting to film this project?
1: One of the... I guess one of the, perhaps, um, surprising is 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 perhaps the wrong word, but one of the things I've encountered is um, the challenge of finding balance in this. So on the one hand, you've got the very, very dark, um, sort of doomsday kind of storytelling on this. And then on the other hand, I'm hearing you know, from experts saying, hey, 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 wait a sec, this isn't, this is all like being blown, overblown, and it really isn't so bad. Um, And we need to be careful, um, you know, what correlations we're making here and what we're saying here. Um, So there are two distinct camps on this. There are, you know, the the very dystopian view, um, people, and there's the very positive uh, viewpoints that I'm hearing. And um, and I'm trying to reconcile that in the film. And one of the questions I ask um, all of the experts that I film is, um, would you like to be a 15-year-old today? And I get two very distinct answers. It's either, yes, bring it on. I'd love to be a 15-year-old today. All of the opportunities that the um, you know, web is bringing me now and digital technology is bringing me now, I'd embraced it and loved it. And then on the other end of the scale, I have the absolutely no way would i want to be 15 today i would have crashed and burned i would have been suicidal it would have been terrible so an interesting outcome i think
0: yeah it, it is interesting to think about it in that way because i think every generation is defined by something or some sort of experience and It really is amazing looking back and seeing how different the lives are of these generations. And I believe that Generation Z is really, I don't want to say they're defined by all the technological advances that have been made because I don't want to pigeonhole a generation into one thing, but it has been amazing to see how much technology has played a role in their lives.
1: For sure, and what's also interesting is um, the Gen Zers on the older end of the spectrum. So, sort of in their early twenties, um, are, are almost like a different, having a different experience to the fifteen-year-olds we're working with. The fifteen-year-olds and the twenty-year-olds are actually two very different groups.
0: Huh. What, what like, would you say are the big differences?
1: Um, Obviously, they're at a different stage in their development. So it's actually quite hard to um, do a direct comparison because I'm not seeing 15-year-olds, comparing 15-year-olds against 15-year-olds, but five years later.
0: Right, yeah, that's true, yeah.
1: I need to be a little bit careful um, um, to make too many um, um, assumptions based on that. But um, I do think the way in which 15-year-olds communicate is a bit of a mystery to today's 20-year-olds. So if we pull that back, for me as a Gen Xer, I find the way Gen Zers communicate absolutely a mystery. The emojis, the language they use, all of that kind of stuff. I don't understand it. It's a completely different language. And I think one of the surprising things that that came out of this process is actually the 20-year-olds are as bemused by the language of the 15-year-olds, as I am in some cases, maybe not quite to the same degree. Um, And I don't think there was that big... Um, gap between when I was um, 20 and and the 15 year olds um, in my era. So I I think there's something about the speed of this digital um, technological revolution that is a very, very important factor um, in what we're looking at. Um, A lot of people make this comparison to other um revolutions that we've had you know the industrial revolution or the printing press and all that kind of thing the big difference between that and now is the speed with which this is um which this is happening and i think the fact that you're seeing such a difference between 20 year olds and 15 year olds is yet another manifestation of that
0: i'm wondering throughout the filming of this process We're talking so much about the effect that technology has been having on Generation Z and and how they interact with this technology as well, how they communicate with one another. Did you discover or stumble upon any sort of solutions while creating the film that could potentially help people who are either struggling with excessive tech use or are trying to figure out ways to to be off their phones more often?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very good question. I've been on my own personal journey, and I've certainly, um, on this, and I've certainly started to change some of my own habits um, the more I've delved into this. But I think, um, uh, you know, I think there's, part of me thinks that this problem, this force is so powerful now that it's really 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 hard for us to counter it you know the genie's out of the bottle and we can't put it back in Um, which isn't to say that there aren't things that we can do on an individual level and even on a government regulation level all that kind of stuff to to try and mitigate some of the worst effects Um, but i'm skeptical that on our own we can completely just through our own willpower and our own um actions completely turn this background to a position where technology is for the good of humanity and that is simply because the business model that's driving um uh, all of this technology is, is is the venture capital advertising you know data with the new oil business model. Um, And there's a lot of um, secrecy around that. And there's, you know, it's it's undermining um, a lot of our key sort of um, uh, democracy, civic life, in lots and lots of different pernicious ways. It's very, that's a sort of very macro level. Um, So there's a lot of challenges around that. um, And there are ways we need to deal with that, perhaps at a political level, Um, at a societal and individual sort of civic level, there's certainly things that we can do. Um, and that comes out of an awareness and mindfulness of um, what actually the phone is doing to you and what the apps are doing to you so it can be simple things about um, making sure that you turn off notifications making sure that when you do use your phone you're using it intentionally why am I picking up my phone now Ah, yes because I've got a real reason to do it Um, and trying to break habits um, that, you know, you just sucked into it so easily. Um, you know, all of that does help. So I think a, a mindfulness about how you're using your digital technology um, is very important. And once you're very aware of your, your usage of it, you have half a chance of sort of finding some healthy balance.
0: Yes, yes. I I think that it really it really does start with awareness, doesn't it? Where we just getting the word out about the research about the because there's so much research out there and it's figuring out ways to get this research out to the general population in a way that is going to engage them and then also entice them to want to act and improve their own personal digital wellness. I'm
1: well, Actually, I'll, I'll challenge you on that. I actually, there is a lot of talk out there. There's not actually a lot of solid, real research um, proving the correlation between phone use and some of the um, issues that um, we're saying uh, come out of it as a result of it. And this is something we have to be very careful with. So, um, you know, there has been there is a rise in anxiety in um, young people. There's um, data to prove that there's true actual rise in anxiety. There's been a true actual rise in self-harm and in suicide. Um, But there's not a ton of scientific data out there yet to actually say this is directly because of digital technology and smartphones Um, and i've been pulled up on that a number of times by um by sort of scientists um, who are saying that be careful because if we start jumping to conclusions and we start um you know doing um applying certain um what's the word sort of um, medication or or psychological help um, for this cause that we're saying it is, um, we might be getting it wrong, we might be missing something. And um, for sure there's a lot of other factors in our world today which are driving this rise um, in anxiety, self-harm, suicide, et cetera. And particularly among young young women, it's, it's, it's very very much the case. So we have to be very careful about how we present this information.
0: Yes, yeah, we want to make sure that we don't jump the gun too soon, for sure.
1: But on the flip side of that, sorry, I'm rambling in. No,
0: <laughs> no, it's good.
1: Um, we can't. Can we afford to be waiting ten years for good data to come through before we start changing our behaviour? Because it might right. be in this time um, we're already able to show we are able to show a correlation right? Um, but, you know, it's good scientific data um, that's robust, takes time to do. So the jury's still out in, in some, you know, in some ways, um, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't start kind of thinking about our behavior and thinking about this um, sooner rather than than later.
0: Yes, I, I absolutely agree with that. We were talking a, a bit before, I want to revisit this again about how Generation Z is using technology to communicate, to interact, to engage with one another at a level that is very different from millennials or Gen X, the generations who came before them. So I'm wondering, when you were filming your documentary, did you get a sense of how Generation Z, Gen Z, develops relationships in today's digital age, whether it be friendships or romantic relationships or maybe professional relationships if they're applying to jobs or to college. Did you gain any sort of sense of that while filming?
1: Mm, Very much so. And actually it's a a key part of the film, this um, relation. There's two sides to this, and this is why this is such a challenging subject because it's not black and white. So on the one hand, they are able to find communities and find tribes and stuff in a way that that, that I wasn't able to when I was growing up. So particularly if um, you're in a, a, a group or um, if you've got a certain uh, I don't know, if you, if you need to seek out a niche group when you were growing up as me, exploring life and I had certain questions about my own identity, I was very much limited to the friend sets um, and the groups around me in my local community as an outlet. Um, whereas now you can go to all ends of the earth to find that little tribe or that little niche group that talks to you that you feel comfortable and happy with and so that ability to make friendships across borders um, is in some ways fantastic Um, and I would hate to see that disappear Um, the other side of things is oh my god the whole dating landscape has changed and it's changed for adults too now adults who are uh, dating it's the same it's the same issue and it's all mediated through pretty much all mediated through dating apps these days and uh, that's really interesting because your dating app is your image and a little bio and people are making decisions based on that um which is it brings in this whole question about this whole you have to brand yourself online you know the, the basis on which we make these decisions it has changed enormously than than in my era um and also the quantity the access so now if i meet someone on a date and um, they're not quite I'll just um, you know, swipe again and find somebody else. It's, much, it's become much more transactional. And uh, this sort of um, paradox of choice, and there's so much choice there on the dating scene um, that you almost don't have to put much effort into building a relationship when you start dating with someone, because you know what, mm, if they're not quite right, I'll try someone else, because there's always somebody else you can go out and date. And I think that's a fundamental change. And actually, a nice little anecdote. One of my experts, um, who's in the film, um, he made this great comment, and I hadn't thought about this. He said, "You do realize that the um, the dating apps, um, that Tinder, is actually affecting the gene pool."
0: Oh wow! Uh, can you can you uh, explain that a little bit more?
1: So. Um, so actually, so Tinder um, is algorithm-based, as most apps are these days, and you know the suggestions of who you're going to um, date, um, who you might be interested in, is based by an algorithm. So a machine, an algorithm, um, a platform, is certainly influencing your decision on who you might date. And then when you take it to its logical conclusion, that actually may impact who you end up marrying and procreating with.
0: yeah yeah that's very true
1: it's a crazy thought to get your head around but you know it's those kind of you know and i think when you say about the the journey that i've been on in making this film perhaps i started out thinking more about it just being about how we're addicted to our screens why we're addicted to them and and maybe some of the mental health impacts of it Um, but when you start looking at the bigger picture and all the different nuanced ways that that this technology is changing the fabric of our lives and influencing our lives um it's crazy so you've got the privacy thing issue um which leads to social cooling Um, and if you've got social cooling and 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 people are less willing to express themselves in public space. Um, There are all sorts of uh, implications uh, that that, that come on with that. You've got the silly little example of dating apps and how they might be affecting the gene pool. And, you know, it it goes on and on.
0: It's amazing. It's exactly what you said is when when we take a step back and really analyze our decisions, whether it's who we're hanging out with, who we're dating maybe certain pursuits that, that we want. It really is amazing how much technology plays a part in our decisions.
1: 100%, and that's another theme in the film, is you know, to what extent are we losing human agency? Um, to what extent are, is technology making decisions for us? Um, to what extent is it making us dumber, even? Um, you know, we, we constantly um, just ask Google, um, every time we have a question, we ask Google. Um, and there's two interesting things that come off the back of that. First of all, we, we tend to only look at the first three answers that Google gives, um, which um, poses some interesting um, philosophical um, questions there. Um, and the whole sort of um, role that recommendation engines play in terms of taking us down um, a very specific path. And the other interesting aspect to that that very point, um, it came up in an interview I did with um, Dr. Jack Lewis, a neuroscientist um, very recently here in London. And um, he was talking about if you don't, if you just always rely on Google to give you the answer and you know you can always go back to Google to check it again and find the answer, you don't really commit it to memory, right? Yeah, and- you know, so what's it doing um, in terms of our kind of capacity to memorize things? And why is it important to actually memorize things? Is it important to be able to memorize things? Um, and, um, you know, he pulled out from that, you know, if you're having a conversation like you and I are having a conversation now, if every five minutes I need to um, just check my um, check Google, because can't, we can't remember um, the answer to something, it, it breaks the flow of the conversation.
0: Yes, yes. people
1: doing that in pubs and bars and you know cafes all around uh, wherever you go we're constantly oh let's check that on google right we're outsourcing our brain and our memory to google
0: that's so true Uh, this is this is so important (laughs) and And
1: my other favorite one on that is again uh, it's a recent thing i don't know if you um i use google mail and um there's a tab to auto complete now. So when I'm writing a mail, it suggests how I might finish my sentence. And um, wonderfully convenient, I can write my emails a hell of a lot faster now, but um, it's a machine putting words in my mouth, right? That can't be good.
0: Oh, uh, no. that's, cra- that's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: right right exactly so here we are thinking this is great this is speeding up my life but actually are we just all gonna end up um sounding the same and actually do i really want a machine to be telling me what i'm writing it's very good at predicting what i actually am probably about to say um but it's frightening to you
0: yeah oh man this is this is all really important things for us to keep in mind Liz, thank you so much for coming on the ship's podcast. I really appreciate you not only coming on the show, but also the work that you're doing with your documentary. And I'm so excited to see it when it comes out. I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners just some information as to where they could find out more about you as well as your film.
1: Sure, so we have a website for the film, which is swipeleftforaddiction.com. So that's a good place to start. Um, And um, you can find all my details through that too. Um, My own website is liz-smith.com. We we do a little bit of social media too, but it's all that's probably the best place to start if you want to find out about it. Um, And we hope that the film will be released sort of mid 2020. Um, And I'm busily working on the edit right now. So it's all kind of coming together nicely. So um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of probably the most useful place to go to find out about it.
0: Great. Well, we'll make sure to include those links in the show notes. So for our listeners out there, all you have to do is scroll down and then those links will be provided. So before we head out, I have one last question for you, Liz. Go for it. What is your idea of a genuine, meaningful relationship?
1: <laughs> it's really interesting, this process, because I'm, I'm on the other side. Normally, it's me interviewing people. And uh, when I do my interviews, I always throw in um, uh, one of those big kind of philosoph- philosophical questions at the end. And oh, it's,
0: it's always fun. fun. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, I'm getting a bit of my own medicine here. Um, <laughs> meaningful relationship it definitely is about depth isn't it um i think you know if i think about the most meaningful relationships in in my life um they've been built up over years um and and trust um you know there are some people who you just know you can trust um intimately and trust actually is, is one of the the um, one of the big kind of questions that I think um, are being thrown um, in the face of Gen Z at the moment when you look at the whole post-truth world that we're living in, et cetera, You know, Who can you trust, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, sort of depth and trust and compassion. Those would be my three things.
0: I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> so Liz, thank you so much again for joining us on the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode with Liz Smith. What I really love that she's doing is that she is talking about digital wellness, about mindful tech use for the upcoming generation and for important things that we need to keep in mind as a society in going about the ways of designing tech for our future. So Liz, thank you so much for coming on the show. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend, leave a comment, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. I would really appreciate hearing your thoughts. Also, if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. Said voicemail may be released on a future episode of Ships, so feel free to call in and let me know your thoughts you also have the opportunity to support this podcast. Supporting this podcast will allow me to continue producing episodes with insightful messages and inspiring guests. So if you are able to support, I would really appreciate it. Head on over to the show notes, scroll down and click the link provided. Also, if you're interested in having me as a speaker at an upcoming event or for your organization, school or business, feel free to head on over to patmcandrew.com and hit me up. I would love to speak with you in more detail about these topics. So thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to The Ships Podcast. I really appreciate hearing your thoughts, hearing your wisdom when it comes to how we can cultivate more meaningful relationships in our lives. So thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.